sermon number 564, Where is the Blessing? This is the first in that series, one, in spiritual poverty and mourning. Preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, February 28, 1971, the first Sunday in Lent. Matthew, the fifth chapter, the first verse. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What is happiness? Who are the happy people? How do I know whether or not I am blessed? These eternal questions have been answered down through the generations by poets, philosophers, religious thinkers, and Jesus Christ is no exception. According to Matthew's account of some of the sayings which he collected of the Master, in that portion which is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, he begins that sermon with eight qualities which Christ feels necessary for this particular ingredient in life called blessed happiness. You know the Beatitudes, I know you know them. I know that some of you have even committed them to memory. But one of the questions which we are commonly asked is for an interpretation of these very difficult, difficult words of the Christ. The Beatitudes are not easy to understand. And I hear people saying, just where is the blessing in, in being poor, in always being sad, in, in being meek, in constantly being thirsty and hungry, and, and being persecuted? What blessing is there in being persecuted, no matter for what sake? Because these questions are paramount, I feel that I have been led by the Spirit of God to try to help yourself and myself through four Sundays of the six Sundays of Lent 1971 to think seriously and deeply upon these particular Beatitudes of our Lord. And it is my hope and my prayer that all of us shall have a deeper understanding of these qualities which Jesus claims necessary for that one thing which all of us are looking for in life, blessed happiness. So today let us look at the first of two of the eight qualities necessary for happiness. The first blessed of the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven, which is 
the same thing. The blessing here, you see, is to be found in a happiness which one claims when he realizes and knows and accepts the fact that he is a part of the kingdom of heaven, or as Luke calls it, the kingdom of God, which, as I said before, is the same thing. Now, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, as many think, these are not pieces of real estate which are to be found here on this planet called Earth, nor are they specific sections of atmosphere in the sky which are to be for those who pass over the veil through the doors of death into their eternal reward. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is not a welfare state and it is not a state where everyone is happy all the time, smiling and singing songs. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God can be anywhere and is everywhere where God rules where God is in control, where God's name is hallowed and reverenced, and where people, you and me, behave as children of the one Father. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is things the way they're supposed to have been. Harmony, happiness, Bliss, paradise. The kingdom of God is the ideal of what God expected the world, you and me, everything, to be when he created us all. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, this is where happiness is to be found. But just because you and I were born into the kingdom of heaven, it does not necessarily mean that we live within such a kingdom. Many of us have chosen to continue to live in what has been called the kingdom of self. In the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, God rules and we are the obedient children. But in the kingdom of self, the individual wears the crown. And no matter how often you come to church or read your Bible or say your prayers, no matter what you call God, you still think of him as a child who is to be obedient to your every wish and want and whim, an errand boy. There's only one way that we make the transition from the kingdom of self to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And the Bible, Jesus says, that this can be done only when we become poor. Now, this does not necessarily mean poor materialistically, though it could mean that. But rather it means unless you become poor in spirit, you can't be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, who is an individual who is poor in spirit? Believe me, it is not someone who just has a lousy attitude. We have a lot of poor in spirit people around the world who feel that this is the way that you express this humility. It's not. 
poor in spirit is just not being an individual who is devoid of spark and responsiveness. It does not mean that you are always dispirited and disillusioned and disappointed. It doesn't mean you don't have a backbone or some stuffing. It means that you are an individual who is poor and knows that he is poor and knows that in the things of the spirit, the ability to think and to walk and to love and to work, these are things that you have in your life only because they have been given to you. You do not boast of your talents or of your ability or of your house or of your car or of your influence. These are gifts which have come to you by one way. You didn't pay for them. There's nothing to be conceited about. You learn nothing except for the grace of God and the gifts which he has given. You're as poor as a church mouse. The Greek that is used here means complete poverty, destitution. An individual who is poor in spirit realizes there's not a thing, not a thing in this life that he does not have that has not first been given to him. You see, wonderful things happen to us when we can become poor in spirit. Or it does tremendously terrible things for the ego. That which the Bible and Dante call the base of all sin. Now, if we could only get to this particular place where we see ourselves completely destitute and poverty-stricken, how much better we would get along with one another. You see, we would not try to play these games of wearing the right clothes or living in the right neighborhood or driving the big car. This would all be unnecessary because we realize that if we have these things, we have them because they are a gift. You see, we don't have to worry in any society group as to how we spell or pronounce our name, whether or not it sounds truly American or it has to be pronounced with a, with a foreign accent. It really doesn't matter because you know that name has been given to you as a gift. Nobody here on earth would have to feel inferior or superior because of the color or the pigmentation of his skin. He would know that whatever color his skin is, it's beautiful because it's a gift of God. We wouldn't have to be spending time worrying about our rights and oh, how much time we talk about our rights. Because when we're poor in spirit, we realize that everything we have is a right, and the only thing that is required of us is to do that which is right. And that right is nothing more than a gift from God. When we're poor in spirit, we, we, we don't overly concern ourselves with how much we are giving in time, talent, money. All we know is that all these things were first given to us. Ah, oh, you see, it's, it's, it's so wonderful. To be poor in spirit. 
Because when we're poor in spirit, you see, then we are in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and there is where happiness is. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you get into the kingdom of heaven only one way, and that's by being poor. We're all poor, you know. Some of us just haven't admitted it yet. And then the second beatitude, blessed, are they that mourn, weep, or sad? For they shall be comforted. And the Greek word that is used here for mourning is the strongest word that can be found in the Greek vocabulary for mourning. It is, it is the type of sadness and suffering that comes upon you when you know of the death of a loved one in your own family. It is that type of personal loss and lament that, that comes over you and is so strong that it is absolutely impossible for you to hide it from anyone. It is that pain that sharpness that shoots itself clear to the depths of your heart and makes you sick in the belly. It's that kind of suffering that is so strong and powerful it cannot possibly control unrestrained tears from dropping from your eyes. It's the worst kind of suffering that you can know. So blessed are those who will endure all sorts of pain and of suffering and of mourning, for they shall be comforted. But you ask, what should we mourn for, or whom shall we mourn? That's a good question, because there are many people who misunderstand this particular beatitude because they do not understand for whom or for what they should be moaning. There are some who take this literally and say that unless you know personal sorrow and loss, unless a father or a mother or a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter dies, you can't possibly know that type of mourning and you cannot be comforted with the happiness of comfort unless someone dies that is the love of your life. When I granted many people do find the comfort and the happiness that comes from friends and comes from God when, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and thank God for that comfort that does come. But I would not want to fool you or try to pretend that everyone who knows this kind of loss shall be comforted because that's not true. You know and I know people who have known personal loss and they are anything but comfortable. Their hearts have become hard and their personalities bitter and they want to die. There's no comfort for them. You see, 
when we have this close interpretation only of this beatitude, we may, may be mistaken in, in what it means. Someone has suggested, you see, that there is a further dimension here, and, and what Jesus is really saying is that unless you can suffer for someone else who is suffering, unless you can moan for someone else who is knowing all types of pain, you cannot possibly know the happiness and the joy that comes from being able to comfort another. In the first beatitude, you see, we are not to be concerned about things, but we are to be concerned about people. And here in the second beatitude, we are so to be concerned about people that when something horrible and tragic happens to them or when they are walking through the valley, we don't laugh. We don't turn around and walk on the other side trying to avoid any suffering. We go to them. We sympathize. We open our hearts. We weep with them. We mourn with them. And they find comfort, and we find comfort in being able to minister unto them. And we know the great joy that there is in being able to help someone else who is hurting. You see, this is something that we do and the like when, when a close one dies, when somebody we know has passed beyond. What, what is it that we want to do and we never feel content unless we have done it? Many think it's, it's a pagan practice, but you must admit it is a way of expressing our sorrow. We go to the funeral home or, or we send a memorial or, or, or we, we give flowers and until we do this particular act of sympathy, we really don't feel any happiness or joy at all of being able to be useful and comforting. It's not just the way the Bible has written it, but it is true. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforters. That's one of the ideas of this particular passage. And, and Dr. Barclay, who perhaps in his commentaries and records has done the most for me in helping me to understand the New Testament, tells us that there's something more here. It means that you're not going to ever find that happiness of comfort until you know what it is to be sorry truly sorrowful for your own sin. Until you are able to have great longing pains of personal mourning for the ill that you have done to yourself and to your family, to your friends, to the world, to God, until you have that kind of mourning, there's not going to be real happiness in your life. And the closer you are to God, the closer you are going to realize the extent of your mourning for your sin, and the more will be your happiness. 
The Apostle Paul shows us this in a rather indirect way, and I doubt if anyone died happier than the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul shows that through the years he was mourning for his sin, for the evil that he had done, for the ugliness that he had brought to the world. And his happiness came as a byproduct of this. Just notice, just notice sometime in his writing. You know, the first letter that we thought, we think that he wrote was, was the letter to the Galatians. And we think that it was written approximately A.D. 48. And in there you'll find that he's referring to himself, I, Paul, an apostle. Now, seven years later, he, he wrote another letter, the letter to the Corinthian church. And there he refers to himself as I, Paul, the least of all the apostles. Do you get the distinction? Then approximately seven years later, and this would be when? A.D. 62. He wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus, and in this letter to the Ephesians, he speaks of himself as being the least of all the saints. Now, don't let that word saint throw you. All it means but all it meant in that day was the same thing that church member means today. And here he is saying, after 14 years, that he is just a church member by the skin of his teeth. 14 years before, he was an apostle. Seven years before, he, he was the least of all apostles. Here now in 62 AD, he is the least of all church members. And then in one of his final letters, which we know is perhaps, perhaps his last, the first letter to Timothy, he speaks of himself. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. The apostle, the least of all apostles, the church member who is considered by himself as being the least of all church members, the chief sinner. Over a period perhaps of 20 years, what was happening? The closer he came to Christ, the more he mourned for his own sin and the happier he became when he could mourn for the sorrow which he had brought into the world. It's not a popular topic today, ladies and gentlemen, but it must be necessary. We must begin to talk more about our sin and the sin that we have brought into the world. <coughs> the sin and suffering that is being caused by sinful people all over the world today. And in this, we shall find something that the world sadly needs today. Happiness. Blessed are ye if ye have ears to hear. For blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall have the happiness of comfort. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father and our God, we're thankful for every kindness that thou hast given. Forgive us when we refuse to think on these things and accept the gifts which thou hast given and live like animals instead of like sons in the kingdom of God. 
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.